We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 32. Can I just say I love interviewing equestrian girl bosses? As cringy and cliche as that saying is, it's true. And our guest today is no exception. Our guest today is the owner of Spy Coast Farm, which is known across the world as being one of the top U.S. breeding facilities and programs. I had to pick her brain for how she goes about with her business and how all of that stems for her love of riding. So without further ado, here's our guest, Lisa Lowry. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Well, I am have been such a big fan of Spy Coast Farm. I always see your name and information about your facility everywhere I go and would love to kind of hear about how this all started, you know, from a vision to being such an amazing facility. Well, it all started, I would say it's about 14 years ago now. I actually started Spy Coast in 2003, but um, it really wasn't the breeding facility or the the entity that it is now. Um, I got the vision to start breeding older mares, performance mares, when my daughter was doing the high junior jumpers. That was probably about, I don't know, 12 years ago now. It kind of blossomed from there. I just saw these really great horses in the ring with the high junior jumpers, and I wondered what happens to these horses. And the answer was not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. So I decided to start collecting them, and I was sponsoring Shane Sweetnam at the time, so I told him he could only get mares and stallions with good breeding and that were fertile, and he was okay with that. So that's what we did. Awesome. That's so cool. How did you start kind of getting your name out there as far like, you know, you were obviously working with Shane and you were, you know, watching your daughter ride. Were you riding at the time also? Yeah, just a bit. I, I topped out at two six hunters. So okay, love it. But initially, got my name out there was through sponsorship of classes, and I had actually started doing that in Long Island at uh, you know B shows, A shows. But then when we went down to uh, Wellington, um, we used to sponsor like, like some big big classes, week long, you know, like we had weeks that we would do. So that really went a long way in getting the name out there. Amazing. When you are sponsoring like a a week's worth of events, what does that look like as far as your involvement? Was your daughter also showing? Were you um, there and super involved or was it more of like a hands-off type of thing? Oh, no. At the time, I was very involved. Julie was showing. Shane was showing. We were giving lunch and learns. We'd give a giveaway at the VIP tables. And then we back in the day, we would throw lavish parties. You know, that certainly helped our visibility as well. And we did that for, I don't know, about three, maybe four years. And then we cut back a little bit on that. But by then, sort of the damage had been done. So our name was out there for, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at, what, at what point did the the breeding facility kind of come into play? Well, I started breeding back in about 2003. I started actually by breeding two thoroughbreds. Then I realized, you know, I had them when they were three and four, and I realized I was supposed to have gotten rid of these a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that was not 
the trajectory that I wanted. I wanted to sure. bring up these horses. So um, that's when I switched over to warm bloods and, and specifically for show jumping because, you know, I got to bring them along and have them trained and, and get them into the show ring. So it was I, I switched from the immediate gratification, more economical model to the 12-year scotch model. Got it. And how did you get in touch with the Sweet Nums and start that relationship? Well, that started because um, Julia's then trainer, I think she was 13 or 14 years old. Her then trainer was about eight months pregnant when we were due to go down to Wellington. We were just commuting at the time during the mm-hmm. winter. We happened to be boarding in Helen Varble's barn because we were able to you know, just have our own trainer. But then when our trainer became unavailable, I asked Allie, you know, who should we use? Because she was like the barn manager or something there. And I said, who should we use as a jumper trainer? And she suggested Shane because he had just finished at Margie's and was starting to train the jumpers at Helen Varble's place. So we met and we, all three of us clicked immediately. That's great. And so with the breeding program, what does that look like? I mean, and I know you have multiple locations. Where is the breeding take place? And um, you have both uh, stallions and broodmares that you work with, correct? That is correct. Um, All of our repro services are here in Kentucky, in Lexington, Kentucky. We're right beside the Kentucky Horse Park, visible, convenient spot. Um, And it's so much better than breeding on Long Island because I don't have to take a uh, ferry somewhere when a horse or something like that you know there's plenty of great equine practitioners right in my own backyard literally i i bring about 40 horses a year 40 foals a year and typically half of those are my own and half are for clients yeah between 40 to 50 brood mares but we do various kinds of um reproductory services we do transfer and ICSI as well so we may get multiple foals out of one horse in a year, but we carry more recipient mares on the property. That has to be such a big team that you work with in Kentucky. I mean, just having that amount of horses, it must be a pretty incredible production. Yeah, it is. And and then, of course, Shane and Allie and their whole teams, Sweet Oak Farm comes in, uh, this is their summer home. Sure. So we're here, we have well over 300 horses on our property. Um, we have 800 acres, however, so it's not too crowded, but it is a bit of a juggling act. It has to be flexible. Yeah, definitely. So do you have people come to your Kentucky location to look at these young horses or do you have them kind of marketed through Shane or how does that usually work for um, selling the uh, the portion of horses that you um, end up not keeping for yourself? Well, sales are very complicated things with horses. You get for K through six is what I call it, but you know, for the younger horses. So yeah. we don't sell a lot as foals, yearlings, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds. We don't even attempt to really market them until they're five or six years old. We wanted to prove our product. We wanted to prove our training program. Our breeding program was good. Our training program was good. You know, the first full foal crop is right out there now. We have Kirschwasser doing the meter 60s, five stars overseas. And then we have a couple more in that age category that are doing national Grand Prix. So that's just the first, and they're nine now. So Mm -hmm. we've just now reached a point where we're proving our product. Mm -hmm. So I'm more likely to sell some of the young ones now than I was before. We market by going to horse shows, going to young horse shows, um, the Developing Jumper series. And then if there's a special one, because the way this works is you're not going to make the money on the volume. You're going to make the money on the one that you're able to sell for a million dollars. So if there's a special one, it will go with Shane, like Kirschwasser did. 
And then he will market that. And we have a business relationship for that eventuality. But most horses never make it to that point. If you're breeding for a meter 60 horses, you might hit that mark 5% of the time. So the others, uh, you know, are in my training program. My trainers go to shows. And then just like most animals, they're sort of marketed at the shows. People come over, ask if that one's for sale. And then they do come to the to the facility here in Kentucky and try horses as well. Nice. That's great. And um, I know you breeding is not the only part of Spy Coast. I know you also a little bit newer. You have rehab facility, correct? Yeah, that's about a year old. In looking at encouraging breeding in America and and trying to recapture the best material that Americans have, I was starting to see a bit of a trend um, that when they went into rehab was a time when they could collect embryos or semen off the stallions. So I decided to go ahead and build my own rehab. It was helpful for me with training my young ones and, and, you know, getting them stronger and things like that, or if anybody was injured, but also I made it available to the public as a profit center, but also as a means of offering professionals and other people who had high-end horses, like Grand Prix level horses or any horses while they're in rehab, we can either get embryos off them, get oocytes off them or get, or start collecting semen for frozen semen use. Yeah, that's amazing. What kind of services do you provide for the rehabilitation? I mean, you must have plenty of different therapies and things like that. Do you get a lot of, uh, I guess, primarily from outside clients looking to, they have a suspensory issue or, or some other issue that requires um, a lot of time off or things like that. Is that is that the majority that come in or what does that look like? First of all, let me explain that I hired a veterinarian for the rehabilitation and fitness center specifically. Cool. Um, she's also the sport horse vet for the rest of the facility. And then I have another vet who does all the reproductory stuff. Got so um, from a business standpoint, I get to obtain my services wholesale and then I build out retail, right? So mm-hmm. that helps us become closer to profitable. Right. And then, so the rehab therapies that we offer, uh, we have two different water treadmills. Um, they're Icelander treadmills. So I've got one that's cold salt water. And then the other one is regular water and it's either ambient temperature or heated. Mm. And those tilt as well, and they are programmable up to 20 um, programs. And that information can be Bluetooth back to our computers in the office, so we're able to keep accurate records. And that's sort of the beginning of, our, of some of our research efforts as well. But we are a referral service. So let's say your horse did have a suspensory and you had your vet that you were working with with that. That vet can safely refer to our clinic and say, hey, and talk directly with my doctor, Dr. Vargas. And he can say, I want her to get, you know, a treatment uh, on the water treadmill every two days. I want her to go on the vibe plate. I want, you know, whatever other modalities he wants. And he will collaborate with our vet. But our vet is there to carry out the dictate of your vet and then communicate with him or her when she thinks the modality might be better served to switch it up to something else. But we never take over the care unless mm-hmm. somebody wants us. And, and then their client goes right back to them. You Got know, it. my vet doesn't leave the farm. So no threat to anybody who wants to refer to, uh, you know, any vet who wants to refer to us. Um, oh we found God. that was a key feature. Mm-hmm. So we have that. We have a cold water spa. We have a regular treadmill. We have four treatment um, stalls, which we have hot and cold lasers, ultrasound, um, shock wave, um, magna wave, 
our rehab vet is certified in acupuncture and uh, chiropractic. You know, we pretty much have all the bells and whistles there. Yeah, that's amazing. I read that you partner with um, with Tryon uh, quite a bit. What what does that involvement kind of look like? Well, I'm actually a partner in Wellington, you know, the Wellington Equestrian Partners and also the Tryon Equestrian Partners. Okay, so that, amazing. Yeah, that started years and years ago. The The good news on that one is I've been able to influence them a little bit on their programming. Sure. So um, I really kind of push them to offer a lot more young classes, make sure we get really good, consistent course design. And, uh, you know, I said, listen, you, you ought to look at this as a loss leader because this is where you grow the business. You know, you mm-hmm. start with, you know, bringing in more young horses. And then, of course, you have all the more older horses. So they bought into that. And they're very, very supportive of, of all the developing jumper programming. So I'm, I'm really happy with that. And then we were able to get the um, Young Horse Show Series final at Tryon as well, which we just recently had last week. And we had over 108 horses there. We were turning horses wow, away. That's great. Yeah. So, we're, you know, we're really continuing to try and make the effort to provide opportunities, appropriate opportunities for young horses to show at as low a cost. Yeah. Hey guys, interrupting you really quick to remind you, my favorite time of the year, Black Friday is fast approaching. Each year I come out with a free online holiday lookbook that goes over all of the big deals in the equestrian industry, as well as staying up to date on the fashion trends. So head over to myequestrianstyle.com slash lookbook to sign up for early access so that as soon as the lookbook comes out, you'll be the first to know. All right, that wasn't so bad, was it? (laughs) Let's get back to the episode. I feel like obviously what you do started for um, a love of horses that you and your daughter were riding and kind of seeing that missing link with with the breeding and and other things to be made available in the U.S. Now I know that you mentor other women, which is amazing. And I feel like something that a lot of us equestrian entrepreneurs need in our lives. How did that all get started? I'm sort of naturally full of self-confidence. That's <laughs> so. great. <laughs> I like to instill that in others. And um, I guess the way it probably got started was back in like 2003 when I started my farm on Long Island. And it was in a former Black Angus barn. I mean, this thing was mm-hmm. this low cinder block, horrible looking barn. As soon as I landed there, about eight young women, you know, in their teens, junior high school girls just came over and said, we're going to hang out and work here. <laughs> and I said, well, I can't see all of you. They said, oh, no, no, we just want to handled the horses what had turned out was a local barn had closed down local riding barn Mm. and I called them my barn rats and so they just came over and started to work there eventually I ended up paying them all they needed a place to land and they needed a, a mentor figure and they would like most teenagers they preferred to be anywhere else but at their house sure with their own family so they hung out at our place. And those girls and women have gone on to do amazing things. And in fact, I had one working here last year who got hired away, unfortunately, um, Mm -hmm. and had to go for family reasons. They've really gone on to do some terrific, terrific stuff. So that's kind of where it started. And, uh, and it continues on. We do a lot with internships and Modesty Burleson, who is my repro vet, is doing externships now for veterinarians. So, education and mentoring of what we do is just a very integral but natural part of what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. So where could we find some Spy Coast Farm horses as far as different ones that you have sold that are part of your program? Okay, so here's one thing. I don't keep track of sales. <laughs> I, I like what nothing to do with the sales end of this. I, I You know, I'm a business person, but I, I really believe in kind of uh, letting each manager do their job. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that my trainers and people in the young horse facility barn are much better at selling horses, know what the prices should be, um, mm-hmm. know how to handle you know, vetting and all that far better than I do. I'd have to ask them. I know that Aaron Vale just recently bought one for himself and one for a customer. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I can't really name other people who have bought them. There's certainly plenty of them out there at this point. Is your daughter still riding? She is not. She's uh, into uh, criminal justice reform now. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's doing really cool things. And are you still doing any riding? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I was out for about a year and a half because I had pulled a cruciate ligament off my knee, but okay. I'm back. And uh, I've just started riding one of my six-year-olds. I wrote her as a four-year-old, then we put her in full, and she fell, and now she and I are getting back into work. We're getting both back in shape. Awesome. Very cool. So what does, I mean, and I'm sure every day looks totally different for you, but what does kind of a a day-to-day schedule look like for you, um, let's say, when you are um, in Kentucky? You're right. It looks different every day. (laughs) So um, what happens is I usually log on or look at all my emails and then I come over to the office, which I share an office with uh, Dr. Burleson in the reproductory barn. And we sort of, you know, talk amongst ourselves. I have uh, my HR person is here and Emily, who answers all the phones, our customer service person, jack of all trades. And we just sort of, they update me on anything new. And then I run through my uh, emails and try and answer them all. Mm-hmm. And then I usually meet with my builder because we've, we're just sort of rounding up our a big building push that we just did over the last two years. Wow. And so we're kind of going through the punch list and uh, making sure that everything gets completed. Mm-hmm. So I work with them and then I'll go visit either rehabilitation or the young horse section. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that usually fills the day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you have a favorite young horse right now? I mean, would it be the six-year-old that you ride? No, I mean, she's my pet more than anything. (laughs) So, and she is a horse. She's rideable. She, I haven't spoiled her, but I would say, um, that's a tough question. (laughs) I'm not one for favorites. I'm a process person. Mm -hmm. So I really kind of enjoy people at each, they're, different horses at each stage I guess if I had to choose one right now of the young horses I'd pick Maui because Mm. she she is a um, seven-year-old I believe I mean she just goes in the ring and peels around and she almost always wins she's she reminds me of Cyclone and she is just like her mother was I used to watch Rachel Udelson ride her mom and she goes just like her mother that mother really stamped all of her offspring Hmm. that's amazing that's what I'm tracking when I'm at the shows. Right. I'm, I'm trying to see, like, how does a Cardento go? And what's the difference between a Cardento and a, you know, Big Star or something like mm-hmm. that? In my mind, that's what I'm visualizing. Right, right. And how often would you say that you are taking on new brood mares or new stallions for your program? All the time. You know, yeah. they come and they go. Right. 
you know, sometimes people get out of the business. Sometimes they say, oh, I have my own farm, so I think I'm going to try and take my mare back. Sometimes people will just, you know, they'll want to get into it. So we, you know, we take as many as we can until we're at capacity, which, by the way, we are now. <laughs> the horse business, you know how things change all the time. So totally. you're never going to have a completely steady clientele. Uh, the stallions, however, another matter. We've had sort of a little mini renaissance with the stallions um, because there aren't a whole lot of warm blood place that takes stallions, especially for retirement. And when they do, it can be expensive. Mm -hmm. So some of the better ones, if you will, the the very successful uh, competition horses, we will um, take on and then we come to an arrangement with the owner so that we're marketing that stallion. um, We're collecting and selling the semen of the stallion and they get the profits from that. And that offsets costs of, of boarding them here. Got it. And that's okay. been pretty successful, and, and there are a few professionals that do that that really have uh, appreciated that. Yeah. The plus side is Americans have fresh semen available, and that is crucial when you're breeding older mares. Right, right. How do you decide the combinations of what you do for kind of each breeding cycle? Every year, twice a year, my team, including Shane Sweetnam, my vets, my young horse trainers, we get together and we run the young horses through a jump shoot. And we sit down and we talk about what we're seeing, you know, and, and whether the stallion is prepotent in this one, the, you know, whether this mare always throws small or whether there's too much bone, you know, we go through everything. Mm-hmm. And we're trying all of us to look at what the different bloodlines are coming out as. And then we sit down and we make suggestions for the next breeding year. Modesty will have a list of all the mares that we have on board. We have a lot of frozen semen in our tanks from various mm-hmm. stallions. And then we look at our fresh stallions as well. And also just the horses that are out there in the world and how they're doing that are doing well. And then we try and pick out who we think will be the best match. But it's a, it's a group effort. Right. Yeah. Is there a big difference between the frozen and fresh? Yes. Um, and, and there's a big difference depending on where you're getting it, which stallion it is, you know, typically a lot of the European frozen semen is sold as a one straw dose Mm. with very little or no backup documentation as to what's in the straw. So, you know, while here in the U S we typically have anywhere between a four to an eight straw dose, and you can usually get the backup data for it. It all kind of depends on what extender was used and how the mayor reacts to it. There's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Obviously, this kind of stemmed from an area of the industry that you felt there was a little bit of a gap in. So now kind of fast forwarding to today, is there an area kind of within this niche that you know so much more about now that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know much about or doesn't talk a lot about? Yeah, actually, I really kind of make it my business to be connected with several of the stallion owners and the breeders over in Europe. And one of the things that is really going to be hot is being able to bring frozen embryos in both directions. So we're in the process of working with somebody who's shipping some dummy embryos over from Belgium to here in the U.S. And as soon as we're comfortable with the fact that you know, all the USDA people, the customs people aren't just going to open up the container and take a look at mm-hmm. it and all that kind of stuff. We, we need to get them kind of used to it, sure. um, which they are more or less with the frozen semen. But they're not, you know, once it says embryo in it, you know, we're anticipating there may be some issues. And then the next step is to start 
are being able to ship them back over in the other direction because there's a real interest in getting some of the bloodlines that now we have and right. they kind of lost. So um, that's kind of the next big thing that's happening and we're working actively on that. Wow. That um, seems like quite And then the there's this whole, yeah, it's real interesting. And then the other thing, of course, is we were way ahead on ICSI over Europe because we were doing the quarter horses and the standard breads do ICSI and have for years. U.S. was a little more geared up for that. And until recently, there was really only one person over in Italy who did all the ICSI for Europe and he freezes all of his. So we're a little ahead on that game, but now their stallion owners are starting to be concerned, and rightly so, with how they're going to get reimbursed for each fold because it's a it's a situation that can be taken advantage of. And you don't want to not have the stallion owners being reimbursed because then the stallions dry up and you're, you know. Wow, well, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Um, there's lots of other kind of, you know, deals that we do with, with stallion owners and breeders overseas. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of business that goes on. I would say the one other thing is the concept of um, influencers. You know, I've sort of been getting into this whole thing where Spy Coast is well known enough and we're now sort of central enough that um, I want to parlay that brand and monetize it, you know, mm-hmm. and have it become something that helps influence the the industry as a whole for other uh, businesses to recognize that. So hopefully I'll get discounts and they can they can um, present their new product or whatever on our property and with our endorsement if we like it and get more traction that way. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm so, all for influencing, so I like that. <laughs> well, part of what we did as a, as a part of that is right after the uh, Rehab and Fitness Center is I built an equine education lab. Mm. That is in order to, we can we have eight wet lab stalls, we have stadium seating, lecture hall, and we have a ballroom. And all of them have uh, drains and footing in them so that you can have a horse right there. Wow. And it can be live stream. There's a live streaming room and there's a room for the sponsors to be in. So it's basically almost like a conference center, but very much geared towards horses. Let's say you had a product and you wanted to present it. Then you could, us being in Lexington, you can invite whatever, all the vets or something and give your lecture and try out the product on horses. And so we're trying to monetize our herd as well, rather than just have them mm-hmm. in the yard all day, we can bring them in and kind of make use to, of them by whatever, you know, something relatively simple, trying a new heart rate monitor. Right. Got it. Wow. So much exciting things around the bend. Lisa, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast today. It was, uh, you are a wealth of knowledge and I think a lot of us will agree, learn so much from you and and everything you're doing. It's so exciting. Thank you. And one other thing I would like to say is that we are doing tours now. We have our little electric bus. So if anybody wants to see more, they can go to horsecountry.com and uh, sign up for a tour and, and we'll take you around and show you even more. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.